Welcome to The Dealmaker Show, the number one place for entrepreneurs and dealmakers to learn about leveraging and generating status, frame control, and narrative power to close big deals. Here is your host, investment banker, deal-making expert, and best-selling author of Pitch Anything and Flip the Script, Mr. Oren Claff. I'm Warren Claff. This is the Dealmaker Podcast. I'm here with Bill Lee, the CEO of Nightscope. Bill, thank you for coming. Uh, I, I always then see somebody with these incredible backgrounds. You know, this is <laughs> status number 101. I tried to a warehouse in my background. So people go, hey, you're not, uh, you know, in a tiny little cubicle, but then you ump the status game to level boss level 99 with the robotics factory. So thank That's you. You got to do our greetings from Silicon Valley. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Okay. So I watched some of your previous interviews and everybody uh -oh. lobbed. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of softball questions at you. Okay. We're so, ready. I'm ready. Man, Let's go. <laughs> you aren't getting those ones anymore, <laughs> but in order for me to throw some hardball questions, I think, you know, and, and and you dutifully went through the really important stuff, why you started the company, what you're passionate about, and the company beyond building the robots that have an application in security, in policing, in defense, in crime, and have a value proposition. You went through your vision for the future for both America and your company. And that, but but I want to try and get through that pretty quickly so we can ask some tough questions. Okay. Uh, just to, just to set it up, we're on a, at Nightscope uh, on a slightly ambitious goal to see if we can make the United States of America the safest country in the world. I think after the events over the summer, uh, the events of January 6th and the ongoing mass shootings, um, if the if one would have said, you know, eight years ago when we started the company, hey, um, the entire nation would be focused on public safety or reimagining it, it likely it would be a, you know, kind of sci-fi movie, uh, some Hollywood scripts, but here we are. Um, I think we've got an opportunity to do it. Uh, we, as a country, have underinvested um, massively over the last 100 plus years, uh, and it's catching up to us. Uh, you cannot have 2 million law enforcement officers and guards running 24-7 trying to secure 328 million people across 50 states with the technological equivalent of a number two pencil and a notepad. Um, so we built all this crazy technology behind us to, to help with that mission. Well, that's why you can buy a gun at Walmart, right? So, <laughs> you know, if the security guard is not in your really local area, then you can just, you know, go ahead and defend yourself. But where, okay. So how did this all come about, right? And, and I'm very interested at the, your experience of, uh, and I know you were at Ford and you were at SoftBank and you were very, these very institutionalized places with easy, maybe that's not fair, with clear access to capital <laughs> ability for you to walk into work, have a cup of coffee and go, you know what, um, you know what we should do? And then by three o'clock in the afternoon, send out a couple of emails and, you know, SoftBank or Ford or Kleiner Perkins go, you know what, Bill? That's a great idea. Here's $6 million. Why don't you get it started? I, so or, and actually, actually, I used to lose a billion in rounding, uh, the work I used to do in Detroit. So I, right. I know what you're getting at. Yeah. So, so relatively easy access to capital, the ability to take an idea and fund it 
and so where did this all come about as well? And was anything here hard? Like, can, can we relate to you or are you just the golden child thought up an idea, funded it. It was pretty easy. This is what I think about it. There's two kinds of entrepreneurs. One is like the way my son builds Legos. He opens a box and there's a manual, right? And it says, put all these pieces together and you have an Avengers robot. Yeah, he's building Legos. Or two, the way I had to build Legos in which there were like white pieces that were square and red pieces that were rectangles and you just, whatever you thought of, you could build. Well, we, we tried to go down the normal path. Um, so we're based yeah. here in Silicon Valley. You know, $130 billion goes into startups every year. You would think uh, doing something for the country that's technologically intensive would have captured the imaginations of those financiers, numerous of ones which committed to helping with gun safety and the ongoing violence and then obviously crawled under a desk or something. Um, so we tried uh, 2013, 14. Uh, to try to get the company financed in, in a normal, traditional way. Uh, it didn't work out because everybody said, no, you know, hey, Bill, you're out of your mind. This will never work. Uh, it's hardware and software. It's too complicated. You should pick one. Uh, and physical security is not an investment thesis and you need to go away. Uh, so if you get no's and no's and no's for like 364 days that it took me to raise a seed round, you're going to have to find an ulterior path if if you really believe in what you're doing. And obviously, I, th I think after eight years of, of dedication to this, people understand that we're not going away and we are going to fulfill our mission. Um, so, so we had to unfortunately do more financial engineering than actual engineering. Awesome. I, I love this because I think what's, well, before I get into uh, what's interesting about this, just give us a sense of the scale of the amount of capital and the amount of operations and the company Give us a sense of, you know, employees, scale, locations, customer base. I saw this stuff online, but you you can yeah. summarize it better than so, I can. Yeah, so real quick, uh, we built all this technology behind us from scratch. Um, so it's a unique combination of self-driving, autonomous technology, robotics, and AI. Uh, prior to this financing, uh, we've raised over $70 million uh, over the last uh, eight years to, to build all of that. Uh, we've generated over $10 million of lifetime revenue. Uh, and we're operating across the country from uh, Alaska to Rhode Island, 24-7, uh, fully autonomous. So this is amazing. I think for anyone within the sound of your voice, to me, what's interesting here, and I want to get into the crime fighting and the robots and everything, but structurally, I, I don't think you need to get 200 no's and you can weigh in on this. I think you can get four no's and kind of get it because of the the basically group style of investing in venture and private equity. There's just not a lot of flexibility between uh, the, the bookends are quite close to each other in terms of the minimum uh, requirements somebody will invest in and the maximum. So you get a couple no's and you basically know traditional venture, in my mind, is not your route. But that is not the end of your road. That might be the beginning of a better road because look at you, you've raised 70 million and and you know, probably crest through a hundred million dollars in the near term, you know, as your capital raising continues. And now you're moving into early stage Tesla territory in terms of capital raising success. You don't need venture capital to say yes to you to build an awesome company. Is that fair? Yes, because 80, 85% of the money goes into software. 
you know, 10, 15% into biotech and the rest into other. I'm sorry, but that's not how the world works. Um, and remember, the VCs, they work for their limited partners. They're just trying to generate a return. They're not, you know, strategically motivated otherwise, regardless of what, you know, nonsense they might uh, put out as propaganda. Um, and not all capital needs to flow from um, a fund like that. In some cases, it's perfect capital. For what you're trying to do, there might be a perfect match of company to capital. Um, but rarely do entrepreneurs really spend the time to, to match that. So as I mentioned back early, uh, we want to see if we can change uh, the entire public security, uh, public safety landscape. We're going to do that with four guys in a boardroom. Like, I don't think that's really going to work. Um, you're going to need to run almost a political campaign uh, over a couple of decades to really make this uh, happen. And that's not how the VC model works. Uh, what we're trying to do um, is get as many people animated uh, about what we're um, embarked on and be a part of it. And so we're actually backed by 22,000 investors uh, that have uh, really you know, sunk into the company. I love this for so many reasons because... And, and this is not a bash the venture pinata. They've obviously started great <laughs> companies, but you know, we can bash the venture uh, guys for a little bit because you know, you go in with a broad vision like this and they go either, either they'll voice it or they'll behave this way in their actions. Hey, Bill, Hey, Oren, Hey, Joe, Tim, Susan, you know, Pierre, Prajish, whatever. That's a great vision you have, except for here's your new vision. If you want our money. And by the way, it's a lot smaller. It's a lot more tactical. And it's a lot more uh, finance. It's, it's more in their wheelhouse, right? They, they, one of the problems is they don't have necessarily subject matter expertise in what we're doing. Uh, so generally, you're going to stray away from that. If you built social media apps all your life and a social media app company shows up on your doorstep, you think you can help them, that probably resonates more than, hey, we're going to combine a bunch of really complicated and difficult technologies yeah. and go after a problem that you think the government's going to fix for you. Right. It, it's great. So, uh, so finance is pr living proof that finance is possible at a large scale without venture. Well, people, I want to get off of venture here because we can spend two hours beating up venture, but, but <laughs> the, uh, if you really look at the numbers, I mean, venture is something like six or 8% of the actual investment capital. It's just the ease. They do the most amount of marketing, have the most amount of highlights. And, and it is, I mean, if you want to play football, there's many places in the world and in Canada and the United States, you can play professional football besides the NFL, but nobody could mention any other place to play professional football. Uh, I'll it's tell you the, I'll, let me, let me tell you the funny story. Yeah. So the, the VC community is not to, you know, not to beat up on them, just facts. The world is changing. Uh, they dump a bunch of money in every sector to disrupt it, right? Education, government, um, finance, whatever you want to go disrupt. But if you want to change the fundraising, fundraising process, Oh, yeah. you can't That's do that. Cool. Don't That's disrupt cool. that. Cause I want to, I want my two and 20 like that. That is, I think, comical in my in my eyes, where they want entrepreneurs to push the envelope, but don't change the one thing uh, that's really important to them. The uh, indulge me for thirty seconds. I sat uh, um, with Guy Kawasaki many many years ago. I haven't seen Guy in ages, but go ahead. And it, it's Garage Ventures. It's what yeah. it says on the door. 
So uh, I helped the company present a deal and they go, you know, we'd like to see the, uh, we'd like to see the revenue a little more seasoned. We'd like to see more scaling, you know, in the user count. We'd like to see it near to profitability. We'd like to see the team holes filled out a little bit. I said, guy, come here. What does that say? That says garage ventures. No, right? no. If I it had says all that garage stuff, commercial banking. Yeah. I, if I had all that stuff, I'd go to bank of America. <laughs> all right. Not here. What are you thinking? And you know, we let, but yes, absolutely. So, so amazing. Hey, listen, but at the flip side, there are, there's one or two firms that are absolutely awesome out of the thousand. They do a lot of great work, very respectful founders and understand what they're going through because they have been. Um, Look, but in I, a lot I know of you cases, have to say that. I know you're a public figure and you have to say, no, that. but I, but I will, we'll allow I've it. Said, I've said this before. You know, your business model is to be wrong nine times out of 10. Don't walk around with an attitude like you're right nine times out of 10. That's the huge problem. Yeah. So uh, when, let's talk robots. You know, my brother uh, lives in Pittsburgh. Uh, he works in an autonomous uh, for a, a quasi-military startup that's actually quite big. And they do autonomous flight for delivery of provisions to yep. military units. I probably already said too much. Cause I see the PowerPoint. He sends me PowerPoint to say, don't tell anyone about this. Oh, like, <laughs> like on my podcast. Don't tell me. So, um, to, but, but, uh, so I've been around this and it's quite interesting. And then if you look on the internet, you know, the, the dog robots and everything are getting quite fancy. Uh, but, but to your point, autonomous driving, autonomous deployment of drones, autonomous software for helicopters. Uh, and then, you know, dogs with, that can run with, with, paintball guns or guns on the back, like those are years away and you're actually deploying and charging for and using robots. So, so help me understand or help everybody understand like what's real in robotics today. When is, when is going to be well, house? Put, put, putting, putting night scope aside yeah. for a moment, yeah. we're the technological equivalent of the 1970s for the PC industry. We're just leaving the laboratory. There are a couple of companies here and there. You're just getting out of the hobbyist category. But what people are worried about in society and the media and, and Hollywood is not going to happen because all you need to do is follow the trail of money. Where did we start this conversation? Where's all the capital coming in? Like, why do you have uh, Google and Facebook and that sort of thing? Because billions of dollars were dumped. I mean, Google was a 13th search engine dumped and lost and learned and on and on and on. You don't have that kind of capital going into the robotics industry. So the idea that, hey, the robots are coming, they're all going to kill you and take your job. I'm like, that's interesting, but I'm watching the cash not flow. Yeah. Um, that level of innovation is not going to happen if you don't fund it. So when you, when you go, let's talk about the cash as it flows from a customer to you guys yep. and, and the pitch, sort of the value proposition. Um, so we have segments of our business that's pitch, 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 follow up, repitch, go visit customer meetings and eventually get a small contract. No matter how good you do, the customer is always unhappy. And then we have other, and we're trying to get rid of those segments. <laughs> and then we have segments of our business where we get halfway through a sentence and they go, stop, we'll take it. Right. And, and so give us a sense of when you go in with the value proposition that you have, what, how, um, the sales cycle, how easy or challenging is it? Like how matched are you to demand today 
in robotics? Highly dependent on the client. So we've signed, the prior record was 10 days to get a contract. Uh, we just signed one for in four days. Um, so that's kind of record setting. Our largest client, it took us 39 months to close them. Yeah. Um, we have normal, not typical, but similar to B2B normal enterprise sales, right? It, it's not a retail consumer buy. So you've got everybody involved and it's a, it's a long, arduous uh, process. But if you walk in and say, hey, uh, this technology has been proven effective, it actually cuts crime. Um, it's highly cost effective at four to $11 an hour. Um, and it's going to give you your team unprecedented situational awareness. Like if you, if you target the right person, you're going to, it's going to resonate and you're going to move on to the next step. So, who, and, and by the way, let's just use my platform, uh, selfishly for a moment. Who is your ideal customer that you would want it deliverable? The value that you have is perfect for where would you just love to be walked in the door, you know, demonstrated and, and you know, that it's going to be perfect for them. And maybe we could get some, some uh, uh, intros. So half a dozen places would be, believe it or not, healthcare hospitals, yeah. uh, commercial real estate, corporate campuses, uh, logistics, manufacturing, uh, and government. And those are pretty much large institutions that have a physical guard presence. Uh, typically, wherever you might see a, an officer or a guard, uh, indoors or outdoors, is certainly an opportunity for us. So talk, talk me through schools for a minute. I have a, and have you got, um, uh, what does your family look like? Where you've got kids and, um, uh, wife and a bunch of robots, <laughs> but wife and a bunch of robots. Okay. So, so I have a seven year old and, uh, when he first went to preschool, you know, I dropped him off and then I, I just have a certain mindset right next door, the Navy SEALs, uh, training. And, and so I immediately, you know, walk the property and I go, there's a hole in the fence there. And this fence is only four feet high. I don't see any cameras. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I could, I could jump over the fence, grab two kids under my arm and meet back on the road, you know, in 35 seconds, where's security here? Is there, what needs to be done? Uh, you know, of course they can't afford a security guard, even at a private. So that, that you, you hit it. That's the problem. Education, that's hospital. And then when, when we had the baby, uh, you know, it was a whole drama um, because I didn't feel like the hospital had enough security. They just put a band on it and the people. So, and I'm not a security expert. I'm just like, you know, a guy who cares about my kid. So step, step me through hospital, preschool, school, and then corporate. I mean, I think everybody gets corporate. You don't want your inventory stolen. You don't want people, you know, vandalizing. You don't want your data room, you know, broken. Like. Those are very, so walk me through what can be done, you know, today in, in the places that are, we're most emotional about. Uh, yeah. So hospitals, not to be cute about it, but you know, we're in the middle of pandemic. Do you want to be yeah. the security guard at the, at the hospital? Probably not. Right. Um, so hospitals running 24 seven, uh, there's drama and lots of humans there. Bad stuff's going to happen, uh, and happens consistently. Um, schools is a little bit uh, difficult, even post pandemic, uh, and it's primarily what you raised. It's it's the budget. You don't have enough to buy the books and and staff uh, and pay the teachers appropriately. Like you're not worried about uh, having a guard uh, or multiple guards to secure a location. So one of the things we're going to have to be worried about over the next decade is, is thinking how to solve that funding problem. Uh, Pre COVID. 
you know, we're in discussions with some cities where the, the city or the county would fund it uh, for on, on behalf of the school. Um, some private institutions, we do have uh, clients that are in education, uh, do have the budget or the endowment to, uh, to do it. Um, but it, it is, it ends up not being the glamorous part of any organization, right? If you're the chief security officer, you don't generate any revenue. You don't build the brand. Um, you don't necessarily help your teammates. Um, you're a cost center. And oh, by the way, uh, until something goes wrong. And then why didn't you do this? Why didn't you have that? And of course, never enough budget, never enough people, right? So it's kind of low man and usually man uh, on the totem pole. Um, so I think people now are starting to realize that that's not going to work. Uh, and the, you need the to start only guy below you is the guy who has who bought the copier. You know, that's, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, why no, actually, the one? purchasing department's higher than. That. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, I mean, not to be not to be cruel, you know, to people who are in the security industry, but if you've ever, you know, um, uh, seen an Amtrak security guard, then I think. You, you, you know, you don't feel like your life is is in um, the most capable hands if anything happens whatsoever. Uh, and so that's that's where people are taking budget from. It's so, so how does the robot then work in those environments? How does it get into those environments and, and how does it work? Because if you look, yeah. point at the one behind you, right? Because uh, to, on your... Well, I don't know the camera. It's probably on your right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the one behind you is where you leaned first. Okay. So so the, you know, the Dalek from uh, Doctor Who, um, that guy. So, I mean, look at me. Look how, you know, physically strong and, and flexible and karate-like I am. So if I've, you know, done something and I'm running past your robot, I sort of envision myself spinning back kick, you know, knocking it over. And it doesn't, so, you know, the robot's not there to stop me from uh, doing my, my crime. Correct. Neither, neither is a law enforcement vehicle or a motorcycle um, or a CCTV camera. There are tools uh, for the guards and officers to utilize. And you kicking that, a uh, couple things are going to happen. One, we have all the evidence to prosecute to the fullest extent of the law. We have and we will. And we just put in probably our sixth or seventh person behind bars. Uh, so people start realizing that's actually a felony to do that. Uh, so you probably don't want uh, uh, to do that. Also, it's 400 pounds, so um, a kick may may not be enough uh, to to do it. But um, you know, I, I think the way it works is basically you want two things. One is to provide a physical deterrence, just to stop people from at least doing a second guess. Should I really steal that car right now because that thing's watching me? Um, and the second is just really smart eyes and ears and voice on the ground for the guards and officers to be able to understand the environment better and even speak through a machine as if it's a mobile PA system. Okay. So this is a part of today where we start an episode CSI Bill Lee, right? What, <laughs> what is actually from a sensor standpoint and from an evidence standpoint and from a data standpoint and from an AI, I mean you know, and facial recognition, what is possible today? And what in your mind is the vision for, right? Because if you, sure. if you listen to uh, let me let me answer it both ways. Yeah. So uh, today, let's say you're a corporate client of ours, we have half a dozen fortune 1000 uh, 
clients that um, utilize the technology, let's say you terminated someone last week and it didn't go well, uh, you're worried he's going to come back. Um, so you can blacklist uh, his face. Oh, I didn't know uh, you were so familiar with our business. <laughs> <laughs> blacklist his face. You can blacklist his license plate and all his mobile devices. Uh, and then the machine is literally on the lookout uh, for yeah. that, uh, for those detections. Uh, and that can alert the, the guard or officer immediately uh, when that when that happens. Um, so that that's a certain use case. Um, in the future, the idea is to get these machines to see, feel, hear, and smell and do 100 times more than a human could ever possibly do and do the monotonous and computationally heavy work uh, that a, a human can't just process and then let the humans do the decision-making and the enforcement work. And so, so take, take me inside some really you know, interesting technologies of where things, what's the leading edge of detection? So facial recognition and, and, and cadence, you, you know, someone once told me that the CIA could be in a van outside your office and from the cadence of you typing, not even being on the internet, just listening, you know, they could fingerprint you from the way you type. I'd yeah, there, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, uh, fantasy and then there's all kinds of really cool stuff brewing. Um, you know, things I get excited about, you know, there's someone working on uh, the technological equivalent of taking a dog's nose and putting it on a chip. Uh, that's super exciting. Uh, today, we can uh, treat this mobile device uh, as if it's a license plate and within 400 feet of a machine, read the MAC address off of that. Yeah. And let's say you show up at a data center and you've got three signals coming off of you. Like high risk of industrial espionage, we should probably flag that person. Um, or this actually happened, you know, uh, three kids decided to go steal a bunch of stuff out of a, a retail establishment. Uh, we narrowed down all the detections to eight that we thought were suspicious uh, or close enough to the machine at that point in time, blacklisted them. And of course, they always come back uh, and then they get busted thereafter. So uh, there's a lot of cool stuff, uh, things that we want to add to the machine. Uh, to be able to listen for someone screaming uh, help or car starting or glass breaking or a gunshot. I mean, there's all things that are technologically ca uh, capable of being made. It's just, you know, it's time, money, and, and resources. So I, I think what's funny and ironic here is because of how you've scaled and now the corporate customers you have and the business you have, you are now a venture capitalist. Right, because people have to come to you and say, "We have this detection technology. We have this facial recognition." <laughs> and you're going, "Well, you know, I'd like to see it seasoned a little bit more." And you know, we no, like we're we're actually more we're more poignant than that. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm a hardcore execution guy. Uh, we do a lot of R and D, mostly D. Uh, if we can't ship in three six nine months, we're not working on it. And putting two startups together, you know, yeah. that's high high risk for for definite failure. So we just you know politely just until it's in full scale production uh, we're probably not talking to you the student becomes the master <laughs> <laughs> it, it's very ironic so um I, you know the other thing is you know the obviously from hearing your description of the capabilities of uh, the detection capabilities uh and the the um it should come with stickers that say you know don't f with us because <laughs> it, you know you're this thing is going to detect you 
It's going to record you. It's going to provide the data. Either you're going to provide the analysis. Admissible or, in court. Admissible in court. You, either you're going to do the analysis or you're going to provide enough data that somebody uh, very sophisticated can then do the analysis and find the individual. So yep. I look at it and, and I know none of the Wall Street analysts, CNBC or Mad Money ask you this, but you, you look at the, the robot. It's like a Tesla that somebody has painted very, you know, it's blue and gray and white. And it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's cuddly, but it's got these feel good. It's got this feel good look to it. Like, uh, you know, more like a, um, I don't want to insult the, you know, the device, but it, it looks more like an information booth or a vending machine or something, you know, helpful or something you would want around rather than what I would do, which is like matte black, silver black, you know, with it, with the skull and crossbones on it. Red, and then red, red LEDs, red LEDs. And, and then like, um, kills like the, you know, like the world war two pilots, you know, number oh, yeah, yeah. for every, for every catch the robot has, it should have a skull and crossbone and the kill. And then like the shark, uh, um, we're, you know, we're not like, in a theater of war. We need to operate in society. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to a lot of gray man novels right now, but, but there had to be some design considerations yep. of do we want it to be you know ominous and for both you're, you're you're at the fine yeah. line of i need to provide a minor intimidation factor without being over the top um but you got to be you know soft you know every radius every curve every surface every font every color that we pick to make sure that it will be quote unquote acceptable to operate in in society i should see in the U.S., because uh, not everything should apply, you know, globally. Um, and I think we got it in the right quadrant, at least. You know, if if clients are uh, signing and renewing, if people are taking robot selfies all day long, and girls are kissing the machine, like I think we might have gotten the mix at least notionally correct. So, so yeah, really interesting. But uh, I I feel like at least. If there's one thing you could take from here, some skull and crossbones for, for the captures, <laughs> you know, just for at least the sticker. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're not going to send me an invoice for the advice, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for good advice like that, you know, it should be, it should be paid for. Uh, I'll, I'll have that trademarked here by the, by the end of the day. G give us a couple good stories that you, a, and, and I know you, one of the problems is in your business, you know, probably the best stories are confidential and private, but there's a, it's just same in our business and anything. Um, but is there anything you could share that's, that, you know, is a great story of the, the, you know, device in action? Yeah. I think one comes to mind, which is, I, I think your audience would probably ascertain that most officers and guards are doing this most of the time, like 95% of the time, 98% of the, nothing's happening, right? So the, the statistical probability of us being at the right place at the right time, something wrong happens, we're able to help and the client tells us, you know, it's almost zero. Um, so I was waiting for, it's gonna be year 15 before we got our first, hey, we did something great. Um, but a few years ago, my I was, I was driving, I was uh, in a car in New York, I remember vividly, and my co-founder calls me, he says, you're not going to believe this. He says, we got our first win. I said, what are you talking about? He says, yeah, we just helped the law enforcement agency issue an arrest warrant for a sexual predator. What? And, and that was a few years ago. And if you go to nightscope.com slash crime, you can see the long list of stuff 
Yeah, that I went there. We, we, we just got started. And um, I mean, we've got 70 plus machines under contract. I mean, it's really early days. Um, and to have a, a win, much less, you know, more than one to me is just fascinating. And so, so let's go back to schools because I never let you finish that line of thought. So how schools, so one way to use the technology would be a little bit of the opposite of, um, detecting something. How about the exception? So if we were to secure a school properly, only these license plates, uh, only these people of the faculty, parents, and students, um, and only these signals are allowed on campus. Anything else that's not on the list gets flagged, right? And so that way you could better secure a location, but you have to have everyone kind of play ball and, and opt in. Um, and that would be a, a much more thoughtful way to, to do that. It, but it comes down to, to dollars and, and money. And, you know, one thing we've been kicking around with one of our investors is, you know, at some point in time, we're going to have to figure out some philanthropic way uh, to have people be able to support uh, the the institutions that really need the help that don't have the budget. Um, so there's, you know, started doing some financial engineering when we got the company going. Why stop now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it drives you crazy, right? Because uh, I, I, I kind of think about it uh, like the people I know who say, yeah, I hired my neighbor's kid. She's 14 to watch our kid when we go to the movie as a babysitter. The thing you care about most, the fucking world. <laughs> you go out and you go, where can I find some, uh, you know, a human for $11 an hour that has never done this job before, that is yep. 14 years old, but you know, that doesn't know any, it, it makes no sense. Like I'm looking for a babysitter for $80 an hour. You're making my point here. Like everyone worries about the robots. Honestly, I worry about the humans, right? Yeah. <laughs> that level of decision-making kind of tells it all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then, um, the, the, g- give us the landscape of robotics, right? So as you see, like the, the, um, because you're an insider and everybody, I mean, this is, the, uh, well, for the record, I'm not a roboticist and I okay. get criticized for this, right? Okay. I'm an ex car guy. Um, I think from, a, I would consider an outsider's view. Um, one of the problem with the robotics industry is roboticists. All they care about is the robot. Like they think this is a, uh, a, a company, like this little thing here that moves is a, that's not a company. That is a feature for a problem that you need to go figure out how to solve for a client. And I think that's one of the biggest problems is folks, you know, developing technology for technology's sake. Uh, as opposed to trying to go fulfill a, a, a you know, fix an issue. Yeah. Um, a lot of folks look at Nightscope and they're like, oh, it's the robotics company. It's like, no, actually, we're an advanced physical security technology company. Whatever our client needs, we're going to go work on. Uh, it ha- just happens that we believe this is part of the solution. Uh, but there needs to be a rather large portfolio of technologies uh, to, to, to help fulfill the mission. So this is great. By the way, I just want to point out the multiple groups that you've insulted. So I like you a lot. Uh, <laughs> so I, think, I think we pretty handling solid, you know, security guards and the industry, a venture capitalist. I think we took a couple uh, swings at the, with the baseball bat uh, at that industry. 
and then uh, you know now the robotics and roboticists <laughs> taking a whack at. So I'm trying. You to- asked me a question. I'm going to answer it. <laughs> In fairness to the officers and guards, though, they don't have the tools to do their job. I, I think you, you, in all your other interviews, uh, that you made that point very clear. I, and one thing I, so as I look at you and as people are listening to this, and I think you would be a great person to model. Uh, you are unflappable. You're poised. You know your business very well. You don't get onto shaky ground in what you know, you control the boundaries of the conversation as much as I'm pushing you in these different directions, you bring it back on the ground that you're comfortable with, which is all good. A lot of CEOs do this, but what I think is awesome about you is you don't bring it back to the cliche. You bring it back into the boundaries and territory where you're comfortable, but then uh, you try and, and provide novelty and insight and real information where you think the conversation should be. Most other people you do this to, you make them uncomfortable, they go back to cliche. And so I think people listening to you could go out and look at some of your other interviews. I'm not baiting you here, but I'm very far from uncomfortable. Like we're just having a conversation here. (laughs) Yeah. So you're, you're, uh, you're very good at it. Uh, And you know, when, when people, you know, when, when you start to push people moving to other areas, they go back to cliche and, and they take things out of the can they've said a thousand times and don't really hey you know. asked me a question i don't know i'll just tell you i don't know i mean yeah <laughs> yeah well we haven't we haven't heard that yet i don't think you you don't know anything um so <laughs> where uh the the and and the other thing that's been very cool about you and i, I want you to do this now is you've been you haven't been promotional at all about the, either the company or the product but I, i'd love you to do a little bit now and really you know talk about the the products and sort of how um, advanced the tech is and the, you know, why you're excited. Uh, so you've been doing it for seven years. Eight. Eight years. Most of the founders that I talk to after doing something for eight years in genetics, in robotics, in software, in AI, in physics, are reaching for the escape handle and trying to yank on it, you know, as hard as they can. Uh, in some kind of exit mode. And the things I've heard from you is I'm more excited now that we have some traction. This is just getting juicy now. I've got three decades worth of work in my head and we're just getting started. This is the first inning. And, you know, starting a company, you got to have a little bit of a screw loose, but you also have to be extremely passionate and believe to the bone what you're doing because you're going to get challenged, not just on interviews, but in the marketplace by your employees, by your shareholders. And if you can't stand, you know, uh, stand your ground, it's going to kind of be really difficult. And you're going to have to do uh, illogical, completely irrational, and sometimes emotional things uh, to get the company through difficult times. And so you got to be able to, you know, get punched in the face, knock down, get back up, and back in the ring you go. Um, but to me, I'm super excited. We're just getting going. Like, we finally got some... Uh, uh, clients that we really understand what they need. Now we can start building. We got additional resources and we can start growing the company. What, and, and I think what you're talking about is a difference between starting a feature and really starting a company and starting a company that you want to be in, uh, you know, to make a mission happen. And clearly that's where you are because after seven years, 
You know, I, I just, I know thousands of entrepreneurs and after seven years, you know, they're eight. in eight. Yes. Actually yesterday technically was our eighth anniversary. Yeah. Congratulations. You know, there's just, most entrepreneurs are trying to, to exit or get out or do something different. And again, you want to double down, which is, which is amazing. Yep. So that, but, but why, what is inside of you? Like, is there a wound inside of you you're trying to fix? There's a, there's a, how, where's this passion being driven from about it? I mean, it's a few things. Um, I was born in New York city. Someone hit my town on nine 11. I'm still profoundly pissed off about it. So the rest of my life, I'm yeah. dedicating to better securing our country. I, I, don't like any form of injustice and i don't understand how we can allow two million people to get up on our own soil willing to take a bullet for you and your family and the level of technology that we provide to them is certainly beneath the dignity of this country and somebody's got to fix it we're the country's 200 years old we're under 46 president and we still haven't fixed the problem like okay i i think the other motivation is the naysayers all the people throwing rocks, all the people saying bad stuff online, offline, in my face, whatever it is, like keep telling me no. And we're going to keep showing you that you're wrong. And at some point in time, you're going to get on board. Um, I, I think probably the most hilarious one for me was, you know, I think for the seed round, the, it was priced like 38 cents a share or something like that. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, I ran into an investor that turned us down at 38 cents a share. And he's like, Bill, I, I blew it. I should have written the check. Uh, I'm like, okay, so what are you going to do? He's like, uh, at the time it was eight bucks a share. I'm, he's like, okay, I'm writing the check in at eight bucks a share. I'm like, okay, well, thank you for, for joining the, the effort. Now make sure to go tell a couple other people. And I think people start realizing like, we're not kidding around. We're not going away. We delivered results and we mean it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, you are one tough son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I, I meet people get three no's and then they come in and hire me, you know, after getting three no's and saying, well, no, nobody will, you know, and, and usually the story is bad and wrong and, and we can help fix it. But w so what have you discovered about talking to investors over this journey that somebody who is five or six years behind you should know? Or I'll give you an easy out. You know, each situation is just a snowflake. There's no universal principles. And you just got to dig in, dig deep, and figure it out. You got First, you got to pick something that you really believe in. Because if you don't believe in it, you're not going to be able to sell it to anyone else, including your, you know, recruiting folks, you know, uh, and trying to get traction in the media or, or what have you. So better pick something that you're willing to get into the ring for. Um, Second, you got to spend the time. People are like, well, Bill, you know, how much time should I spend fundraising versus building the company? It's like, well, you know, 100% of the time should go into fundraising. And then the other 100% of your time should be into building the company. Like no one cares that you're working 100 hour weeks. You, you got to put in the effort and you got to force things to happen. And then lastly, don't ever let anyone tell you no. If you know you're right, then I take that negative fuel and recycle it into, okay, Thanks for the no and thanks for the fuel. Uh, we'll see you next year and you'll see that, you know, you made a mistake again. So, oh my God, I just want to talk to you for hours, but I can't. Uh, so, so, so many things. Well, it's not me. I, I mean, yes, you're, you're just a very nice, genuine, transparent person that would 
love to know, but I think the, the people who are years behind you would want to talk to you for hours about your experiences, but please don't start a podcast. Just keep doing what you're doing. Because podcasts <laughs> don't stop crime. They probably incite crime more than they stop crime. But uh, you know, in the, in the few minutes we have, and, and I think this is my criticism as I see uh, CEOs who are a hundred percent capital raising CEOs. Right. And they're just, they're, they're, as you said, it takes a hundred percent of your time in an early stage to raise enough money if you're not a pure down the middle venture deal, but then you're a capital raising CEO and who's doing the execution, you know, the CFO or the CMO or the COO. I mean, that's, that's your job is to raise money and yep. ex, you know, pr provide leadership and execution. And, and that that's hard. What, what's the hardest thing if you can, or one of the hardest things you've had to do with money, one of the hardest things you've had to do with people and one of the hardest things you've had to do with yourself in terms of a moral or ethical judgment. And, and the reason I'm asking is if it was easy and there's no hard decisions, you probably haven't or aren't building anything that, that other people can't do. What were the hard things that you really had to do that pushed you to the next level? I think the really hard thing is my team with money is, I mean, we're 50 plus employees yeah. and not to, not for jest or to make for effect, you know, we're doing work that would probably require 350 people to do. And that makes it really hard, which is like, uh, I kid around with my staff, but like I'm the legal intern, the HR intern, the social media intern, uh, like, I'm trying to get other people to do stuff as we hire uh, things. And even as, you know, teammates come in, um, they don't have, you know, really clear defined roles. It's like you have seven jobs and that makes it really hard for the teammates and for, for me. So that drives me to bring in more capital. Right. In terms of people, um, you know, sometimes you, you know, I've had a really bad habit of waiting too long to fire somebody. Um, and that caught up to us, uh, three or four or five years ago. Um, and, you know, sometimes you, you, you just need to bite the bullet much sooner. Um, and that, that, that makes things uh, difficult. Uh, ethical or moral? Um, I, I think probably the one that people say in jest and we're kind of serious is, hey, you know, you have three letter acronym folks asking you to put a, a weapon on the machines. Yeah. Um, and yeah. most of the time it's in jest, but you know, we're pretty serious. Like, no, um, I think, you know, if you want to build a new set of technologies and get the country to operate in a different way, like the last thing you need to be doing is tasing anyone. Right. Um, and I, I think that's kind of a bright red line, uh, for us. I'm sure others someday will, will, will cross that line, uh, but it won't be us. Yeah. I'm just pausing on that. That's really interesting to hear so so you guys are not so there's not military applications oh no there are uh, the federal government's a huge opportunity i mean just think around you know the military police around uh, an air force base yeah. securing all the supplies um force protection i mean there's a there's a ton of opportunities it doesn't mean we need to be on the battlefield i mean it'd be our greatest honor like our first federal contract is actually with the u.s department of veterans affairs I mean, we're all teary-eyed over here. Like, we get to 
protect and serve those that protect and serve us. I mean, geez, you know, mind blowing for us. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back just in the, I know you have to, uh, as you told me, you've got a hard stop. And I just want to go back to one thing around capital raising that was, that's very interesting to me. So you have a large number of smaller investors, which I love. It's a syndication. And so you have, what comes when you get one large investor, you do a traditional sort of series A, series B, you pretty much get handed a board of directors and advisors. And now they have quite a lot of oversight or even firing uh, ability over you, the CEO. But you are, uh, because the route you went, you're able to execute on your own vision, make your own decisions and add the people that you want on the board of directors and you can maintain control. Looking back at the venture meetings you've had and the route that you've ended up taking, which is staying in control, it's a big theme for me is control. Uh, how happy are you that you don't have that oversight from a, a, an investor you know, of the board or control over you? Share with me your thoughts on those two routes. Um, I have a huge problem the way companies are funded and governance is done primarily here in Silicon Valley. Yeah. So in the public market, someone buys 5% of your shares. It's an emergency board meeting called the PR crisis communication people. We have an activist single shareholder. Uh, you can figure out the acronym. Yeah. Um, in the private markets here, someone buys 20% of your company, steals two board seats, and you send out a celebratory press release like, I don't know. If it's the right fit, then absolutely. go. Just go for it. If you're Mark Zuckerberg retired, you've got a general partner with him that they're going to help you with your social media app, like do that all day long. Just sign the term sheet, be done with it. But I don't understand, like, why does a founder get to recruit the team, figure out the technology, figure out the brand, figure out the real estate facilities, decide everything, but you're not allowed to architect the right board member at the right time, at the right time in their career, a collaborative one, something the SEC would opine on and say, yep, that's the right fit. Uh, one that looks diverse enough uh, and, and really reflects uh, not only society, but a way to help you long-term. Like, I don't understand this. Um, and oh, by the way, you know, at 50 employees, it's a tiny department at Ford Motor Company. Like, what the heck do you need a board for? Like, you really need to focus on, on growing the business. Now, obviously, since we publicly stated that we're contemplating a public listing in some form, you yeah. know, I'm actively looking, you know, for four independent uh, directors that uh, can help move the company forward and, and be advisors. I have, listen, I have 22,000 investors. I've got a ton of informal advisors and I get all kinds of help yeah. along the way. So it's not like, you know, it's, you know, uh, Bill's show here and, Kate, you know, I can't just do stuff. I need, you know, approval uh, from our shareholders, but, um, I'm, I would do it all over again. I, and I would, you know, selling board seats to the highest bidder. I, I have a profound dislike for, I am 1 million percent in agreement with you because, and, and I would take it even one level further is even if you get those sort of attractive board members from, you know, a 16 or true, or, you know, guys who really have, if you miss one or two milestones and you sort of start to fall off, 
and not execute on plan or you become not as an exciting technology as the next thing, that board member is going to drop and you're basically going to get the, the attorney from- No, you're going to get the intern. You're going to get the associate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I always say. Uh, you know, Tim and Prajish are now on your board and guess what their credentials are? They graduated from Stanford two weeks ago. Have a nice yep. company. So yep. I, I love the syndication. We had a young entrepreneur here uh, and she had successfully raised uh, $3 million from eight different groups and she was just ready to close. And she goes, yeah, but this big name VC dropped in seeing all my traction and they wrote a term sheet. I said, burn it. It's a witch. <laughs> Put it in water. It will I, sink. I mean, the other problem is like, then you go look at this corrupt kind of way to do governance um, then you wonder, like, why are all these boards male-dominated from a certain ethnicity? Like, why is that? Well, it kind of goes in circles here. This is kind of really simple. You get a term sheet from this person. You sell two board seats. He brings his buddy. Then they bring his next buddy. Now you got four buddies all in the same room. And if you quietly, and I've done this, ask the founder, uh, you know, would you ever do business with them again? Or would, how are your board meetings? And, you know, the guy turns pale. He's like, you know, I wouldn't. Um, and all I do is spend all my time, you know, they were out of sector. So they're asking all the wrong questions, worried about all the wrong things at all the wrong times. It's not that they're bad people. It's just, you put them in the wrong deal. Like you're asking a chemist to go work on some mechanical engineering thing. Like he's, or she's out of, out of, uh, out of, out of sector. Everybody give a board seat to the person on the right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hey, so listen, Bill, thank you very much for sharing your vision, the company, your thoughts on finance and what's good about it and what's bad about it. I think in summary, I love the direction you've gone. I think it's exactly right. Uh, I think you're in a control position. It's amazing to see that you, you know, after doing this for seven, eight, approaching nine years, you want to do it for another nine years. It tells me you're uh, emotionally well-organized, happy with what you're doing, excited about it. And, and, uh, I think this is the, just for, for all of my people listening to what I'm doing, this is the definition of where you want to end up for the, the, the challenge, you know, for starting a company and doing something you want to end up where Bill is today, a real company. Yeah, that's very kind of you. Real Appreciate money, that. Doing important work that you still love and and uh, changing, you know, the way this country is is functioning. It's it's an awesome story. Let's make a movie. Uh, no comment. Okay. <laughs> Have a couple right. of things in the works. <laughs> any any ask from me or the audience, I mean, you're doing hard work, you're really sticking to it, you're, you're helping people out and you're not asking for much in return. Is there anything that you would ask of us that we can help support you? Just go, uh, there's plenty of things you can do. You can read about our, our mission and how we're going to accomplish it. Just visit us at nightscope.com and there's uh, lots to learn about, uh, about how you can contribute. So uh, appreciate the time, appreciate all the cool questions and the, and the, uh, and the kind thoughts. Excellent. Well, this is uh, this is one of the few companies that I really, after just spending an hour with it, am a believer and will spread the word. Thank you, Bill. Awesome. Thank you so much. Please be safe out there. Bye now. Bye-bye.
Hey, thanks for listening, and be sure to stay tuned for more great content from Oren Claff.